The reading is taken from John 11, verses 1 to 44, page 1077 in the main Bibles, and in the large print Bibles, page 1668. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness is not end in death, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks, day, walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in, in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the, the place where Ma Mary had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforted her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. 
Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he had been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeremy. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, what a privilege to be able to read the words that you spoke in that place of sadness and grief. You spoke words of life and hope. And we pray that you would speak them to us here tonight. That where we need a word of comfort, a word of confidence, a word of trust in you, you will show us that. Pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to what we read here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us, I guess, will have been to a funeral and heard these words that Jesus said that we've just heard this evening. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. These are truly great words. They're a wonderful summary of who Jesus is, what he's come to do, to bring life, to conquer death. A wonderful summary of the gospel. I think they've probably been repeated at every Christian funeral in the last 2,000 years. I haven't been there or checked that one out for factual accuracy, but I'm guessing that that has been the case. So these are really, really key words for us to look at and savor. But the words immediately following that probably haven't. If you pick them up at the end of verse 26, Jesus said, do you believe this? Do you believe it? It's a great question, isn't it? The first funeral I can remember going to was when I was working for my A-levels. And one of my close friends, who I sat next to in many of my classes, had suddenly died. He was a Christian. I can remember that gut-wrenching sadness as I went to his funeral. The guy that I had sat next to was no longer there. But I can also remember alongside that just deep sadness, I can remember the hope that flickered and kept alight. He believed in Jesus, and so I trusted that his death was not the end. 
But I can remember that anguish of thinking, how do you hold together the deep, deep sadness of losing a friend alongside the hope that we have in Jesus? Grief and hope coming together. How do we do that? I expect all of us here this evening will be somewhere on a, a kind of a spectrum of what we believe about what happens when we die. Some of us may have very little hope beyond death. Some may have vague hope of something based on something, and others will be at a point of real hope and confidence in Jesus, certain that death is not the end. But whoever we are, wherever we fall on that spectrum, every time we're faced with death, confronted by death, there is still a sense that our, our beliefs are being tested. Are we right to have hope? Is it safe to hope? Can we cope without that hope? What is that hope based on? I'm in danger having spent uh, a few of these weeks looking through John's Gospel as we've been doing as a church of saying this chapter is the most exciting chapter. I think I said that last week and the week before and the week before that. But I think this chapter really is stunning. I'm a bit worried about what I'm going to say next week because I might say the same again. But wouldn't you agree this is an absolutely stunning chapter? It begins with Lazarus' illness and death. It records his death and the grief of his family. And it gives us eyewitness records of Jesus bringing him back to life. Finishing with Lazarus as a, a marked man. Because the religious leaders who were plotting at that point to kill Jesus also wanted to kill Lazarus because that whole event had so turned upside down their worldview that they couldn't cope. I'm aware that speaking of death and funerals and grief will be particularly raw for some of us here this evening. My prayer is that it will also give us hope, a growing sense of hope. And that for, for all of us, wherever we are, I pray that this chapter will become precious to us as we see Jesus' words and his actions around this event. John, who's been writing this gospel, has had this, this account of Jesus' life. John has had plenty of time to reflect, plenty of time to gather together all the eyewitness details. There are plenty of them in this chapter. The facts that set these events authentically in history. We can trust that this took place. But he's also had time to think behind the, the details and the facts to the, the meaning, the theology. What does this teach us about God? What do we discover here about Jesus? So we're going to look at this through the eyes of Mary and Martha, two sisters whose brother Lazarus had this fatal sickness. Let's look through the story together and pick up some of the key pointers along the way. Not all of them, there are loads of them in here. But have a look to John chapter 11, page 1077, and let's just draw out some of the events that happened before we then think through what they mean for us. You see in verse 3 that when Lazarus was ill, the two sisters called Jesus to come. They sent word. They knew that Jesus healed people. They knew he had power to heal people from sickness, and they trust their brother to him. They seem to know him well. But if you look on to verse 6, Jesus delays. Instead of rushing to his friend to speak a word of healing in his sickness, he waits. 
He waits, we think, knowing that Lazarus would die or perhaps was even dead already at that point. Why does he wait? Something to do with a deeper sense of God's glory being revealed. Something more powerful than could be revealed in simply healing Lazarus of a sickness. It's interesting, if you look on to verse 11, you'll see that he speaks about Lazarus falling asleep and him coming to wake him up. He's speaking about Lazarus being dead and bringing him back to life. But the disciples don't understand that. And they think, literally, he's asleep and they're going to wake him up. Good morning, Lazarus. No, that's not the case. They don't yet see. Thomas, in his sort of passionate response, says, well, let's us go and then die there with him too. They know that it's dangerous for Jesus to go back to this part in Judea. There's all sorts going on here behind the scenes. And yet at the center of it, Jesus is preparing people for something deeper, a deeper revelation of who he is. So in verse 17, they arrive, Jesus arrives, and discovers that Lazarus is truly dead. The four days that John records here is significant. There would have been stages of grieving, public grieving. A lot of people were gathered there. And by day four, the sequence of what you did would have moved on. And we're looking at this through the eyes of Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha. We know plenty about them from other parts in the Gospels. But Martha is the activist, and so she, the busy sister, goes straight out to meet Jesus. Hears that he's coming, runs out to meet him on the way, on his journey there. And their conversation is fascinating. Look at verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it reads to us a bit like a rebuke, doesn't it? If you'd been here, you would have been able to make him well. Perhaps it is a bit of that, but it could also be a statement of her belief. And maybe it's a bit of both, both sadness and rebuke, but also still a statement of trust in Jesus. Look at verse 22. It's more faith-filled here as... Martha says, but I know that even now God will do whatever you ask. Even in her grief, her despair, she is still putting her trust in Jesus. Whatever she's discovered of him so far, she knows that he is the one she can turn to. Well, that's Martha. Look back to verse 24, and we see a little bit more of her own structure of belief. Martha has a vague hope in eternal life. When Jesus has said, your brother will rise again, she, he, she answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Of the different religious groups that were around at that time, the Sadducees, one of the powerful groups, didn't believe in resurrection uh, at the end times. They thought this was this life and that was it. But the Pharisees, another group, another powerful group, perhaps a more influential group, did have this hope, a, a kind of vague hope in there would be a resurrection at the end time. And so perhaps Martha is showing that she is part of that group or aligned with that way of thinking. But it's distant, and it doesn't give comfort in the grief of now. And so Jesus comes with this glorious statement and his probing question. I 
am the resurrection and the life. It's not a vague hope or something for the future. He says, I am. That hope is located in me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. And the probing question, do you believe this? I am. It's not just a, a framework of belief for the future, but a declaration that he, Jesus, is the one who holds life in his hands, who has conquered death and will bring eternal life. Do you believe it? Now let's just stand back from this chapter. We've been on a journey through John's gospel. And the theme of Jesus being the one who has life is so important in John's gospel. Chapter 1, verse 4, in the prologue, that reading that we often have at Christmas, John says of the word Jesus, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light for all people. Jesus, the life, the light. And then do you remember after Nicodemus met with Jesus and heard that he needed to be born again? John records these words explaining that. He says, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. Such a key theme for John. And then if you turn back to chapter 5 of John, just turn back just a few pages to that, page 1069, John chapter 5 and verse 24. John is teeing us up, I think, for chapter 11 here, for the event that's going to take place that we're going to see in just a moment. As he records Jesus' words to his followers, explaining his power to bring life. John 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That is Jesus' power to bring life. And we're going to see in a moment the event when that took place. Mary and Martha in their grief expressed something of their hope, their belief in this. Question for us tonight, wherever we are in our journey, do we believe this? Martha's answer seems to suggest that she is on that journey towards believing. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Martha is expressing her trust in Jesus. She believes he is the Son of God, the one who can bring life. She does believe, and yet she probably doesn't yet know the full implications of that. And maybe she is similar to many of us here this evening. We're beginning to say with confidence, yes, Jesus is the one who has life. We have life in his name. But we wonder, what does that really mean? Particularly when we're confronted by the sharpness of death, what will that mean? Through Martha's eyes, through Mary's eyes as well. She now comes into the story. She has stayed behind at home. But when she hears that Jesus has arrived, and Jesus indeed calling for her, Jesus wanting to meet her, she jumps up and goes to him. We don't know quite why she wasn't ready to rush out, maybe just different sisters, different uh, ways of responding. But when Jesus calls her, we discover that he wants 
to grieve with her. Jesus, we see, is deeply moved. Have a look on to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The word there is a really powerful word for being so moved in your inner being at something. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's used as a word of stern rebuke when you speak something really powerfully. In classical Greek, it was used as the word that a, a war horse might sort of stand up in the face of an enemy and snort at an enemy. Jesus here is so deeply moved at the death of his friend. Perhaps partly because he's aware of the grief of his friends and he shares their grief. Perhaps because he knows that death is an intruder into God's world. The world through which, through, through which he had made, through his word. He had spoken it into being. Death, an intruder into that. It moves him deeply. Perhaps he's also aware of the confrontation that he's going to have bringing Lazarus back to life, but also, ultimately, as he gave his life to defeat death. No surprise then that Jesus deeply, deeply moved. But before he raises Lazarus, do you notice also that he shares the grief of Mary and Martha, indeed all those who were weeping there? Isn't that staggering? Jesus weeps. Jesus, who knows what he's going to do next, still stops to share his grief with those he's close to. Isn't it wonderful that we have a savior who knows our pain, who shares our pain, who feels our pain? Our God is not distant, but is caring. Well, just before we get to the event itself, one other fascinating detail. Look on to verse 40. As they've had this little interaction as to whether it's safe to take the stone away from the tomb, the body would have begun to decompose. There would have been all sorts of stench if they opened the tomb. Martha knows that and warns against it. But look at Jesus in his response in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And instead of praying at that point for Lazarus to be brought back from the dead, he says something different in his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Here we get an insight, I think, into what Jesus has been doing while he delayed. In the days that in our eyes he had been delayed, in fact, he had been praying. Praying that God would preserve Lazarus, bring him back, and enable this miracle to show the glory of God. And so instead of praying, he simply thanks God because the work had been done. The prayer for Lazarus had already taken place. Now it's simply time for the result of the prayer to be seen. And so comes this great word, verse 43, Lazarus, come out. In this moment, Jesus shows his power over death, his authority to give life, what John has been saying all the way, way through about Jesus having life, his words having life, now we see in reality he can conquer death. It's not just a vague hope for the future, it's a reality now in the present that Jesus has real power and authority. 
And so Lazarus, almost in a comic way, hobbles out. Have a look at how John describes it. The details here, I think, are, are here for us to savor so that we can believe. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. He couldn't see, he could hardly walk, but he obeys the word of Jesus. He comes out. The dead man has been raised. Brought back to life. Different from Jesus' resurrection, when Jesus would be raised to resurrection life, John records clearly that the strips of linen were lying there as if Jesus' body had been raised through them. Lazarus comes out wrapped up and needs to be unwrapped. Jesus' last words in this, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus would one day die again, possibly quite soon. If you look ahead to chapter 12 and verse 10, you see that he is a marked man, just as Jesus was under threat from the leaders of the Jewish people at that time, so too now was Lazarus. But let's pause at this point, having seen the great, great event of Lazarus being called back to life. Through the eyes of Mary and Martha, what would that mean? They had seen their brother ill, suffering, and die. They'd gone through those days of grief, letting go of their brother, not to see him again public warning, many people around. It was a very open, grieving community. But Jesus had turned that all upside down. And soon the door would be open, not just for Lazarus, but for all who put their trust in him to know Jesus' resurrection power. Mary and Martha, their life would never be the same again. What they began to put their trust in, now they could see even more clearly, Jesus had power over death. Mary and Martha, I think, learned a vital lesson of trust, that we can trust Jesus even in the midst of the deepest darkness and despair. Whatever we're going through, Jesus promises to give life. Through the eyes of Mary and Martha, a lesson they learned. What about us here tonight? Here are just three brief reflections. Death is not the end. In our world, we often think it is. Many around us may think it is. Many may fear speaking openly about death, may cover it up with other words. I think it's right that we speak openly and plainly about death, not to hide from the reality that it is. It's an enemy, it's an intruder, it's not part of God's original design, not his purpose for his world. When Jesus speaks about death as sleep, it sounds almost like it's an uncaring way as if it's to minimize the reality of it but in God's eyes those who die putting their trust in Jesus are simply asleep one day they will be woken raised to new life and so you see here is the truth that all of us who believe in Jesus can hold on to the death is not the end we need not fear it we put our trust in the one who has power over death to give life. Death is not the end. Second thing is that eternal life, real life, starts the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. When Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, he's saying he has the power to give us the life that counts, the life that will last for eternity. 
this saying, I am the resurrection and the life, is towards the end of the I am sayings in, in John's gospel. I am describing the character of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate through which people will come to God. I am the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his people. John's explained all of those. And now he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who will give the life that truly, truly counts. John, the gospel writer, would one day, right at the end of our Bible, possibly right at the end of John's life, write these wonderful words that express the hope we have. God will one day wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Do you remember those words from Revelation? They are words that Jesus can be trusted to bring about. A new order because he has the power over death. Death is not the end. Eternal life, true life begins the moment we put our trust in Jesus. And so thirdly, we can wait with hope. We may have prayed all sorts of prayers that we haven't seen answered yet. And sometimes that makes us think, is it worth keeping on praying? And the answer is, of course, yes, it is. Both pouring out our grief, our concerns to God in prayer. It doesn't mean that we expect the answer that we pray for. Though sometimes in God's grace and his mercy, he breaks in and does the miraculous, which keeps us on praying with trust and faith. But we also pray into that sense of grief, of darkness, of unknown. Knowing that one day, God will make all things new, all things right. Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When we pray in the midst of a time of waiting, we pray knowing that one day God will right every wrong. So death is not the end. Eternal life starts the moment we put our trust in Jesus. And all along that journey, we wait with hope. Mary and Martha that day experienced a wonderful, wonderful lesson. They saw the sign of Jesus' power. Yet I guess they would have gone on to experience further loss and sadness. But they'd have done that knowing the light of Jesus shining into those dark times. And that's the journey of faith that we walk, isn't it? That when there are things that cause deep sadness, we grieve. But we don't grieve without hope. Because we know the reality of Jesus' words. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray, shall we, that each of us is able to see that, hold on to that, and live with that more clearly. Would you like to stand? Maybe just in a moment of quiet, why not? Just be honest with your head bowed as to whether actually you want to know the reality of those words more clearly tonight. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life.
And I'm going to suggest that if, uh, just if everyone has their eyes closed, just if you know that you want to know the truth of those words, the reality of those words in a time of perhaps darkness and pain, you just hold your hands out in front of you as a sign of your openness and your desire to know the truth of them more. And I'll pray particularly for you that God will give you fresh hope tonight. Maybe literally fear of death or concern, grief, anguish, or maybe unanswered prayers. Lord Jesus, will you speak a word of comfort deep into the hearts now of people here tonight who need to know your life-giving power. Jesus, you said I am the resurrection and the life. May we here tonight believe that, particularly those who know they want to experience that more deeply. Will you speak not just into our minds but in our hearts, our very center of our being, a confidence that you have power over death, that you can drive away fear, that you can give eternal life, that you can guard our hearts in peace. May we know that. And we pray this so that you will be glorified in our lives and in our world and for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you asked God for that deeper sense of awareness, then I'm sure he'll be doing that already, but it may continue as we worship, as we pour out our hearts in song to God. So let's do that and continue to be open to the way he may want to work in us and encourage us. Let's sing together.